Welcome to The Noncast, an ongoing conversation around the topics of spirituality and culture for those who find themselves wondering and wandering on the fringe of religion. I'm Nathan Roberts. And I'm Stephen Drager. We're hoping to create a safe space for the rest of us to be honest. So this is for anyone, regardless of their faith background or life circumstance or current musings in regards to life and faith matters. And it's for all the nons out there. So the folks who no longer identify with any one stream of Christianity or may be questioning their commitment to a faith tradition altogether. For those deconstructing and reconstructing and for those who are finally being honest about their questions and feelings, we welcome you. Am I going? I'm going to go. I'm You're going. Go. go. Just go. <laughs> In today's episode, Stephen has something to share with me. I don't know what we're going to talk about yet. And that is uh, very atypical and um, and probably makes Stephen feel all sorts of uncomfortable. Um, bless you, Stephen. But let's jump into it. You You saw something. This is as much as I know. You saw something that really pissed you off. And that is what we're going to discuss today. So let me just clarify. I'm a type A, five on the Enneagram. I don't like the idea of just talking (laughs) off the cuff here. I haven't had time to process or plan anything in regards to what's going to happen. And I'm terrified. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm more terrified that I'm going to say something wrong. (laughs) <laughs> than anything else but here we go i nathan was relieving himself and i was on instagram taking a nap yes, yes. and i saw a post by a church and it was just a picture with like a pen that had written on these on this piece of paper the words god can god will and will is underlined. But then the caption, right? So the, the caption on this Instagram post was, and even if he doesn't, you can trust him still. Mm. And I immediately got pissed off because I I think I'm just reminded of, you know, this idea that, you know, well, one, if you're going to say God will, and then follow it up with, and even if he doesn't, that doesn't make any damn sense <laughs> to say <laughs> something is going to happen. It will happen. But if it doesn't, like that's... But it might not. <laughs> yeah. And when you're talking about God, like the thing that a lot of Christians mm-hmm. like put a lot of stock in, put a lot of hope in, uh, get very serious about, um, that for me is one of those like Christian traps right it's mm-hmm. like making a claim but then also kind of like we talked about you know the whole like fire insurance right like like but we're going to yeah. like it's like when people say like in prayers for healing right when people pray to heal somebody mm-hmm. and they add this whole like if it's your will god right. like when is it never god's desire to heal somebody Right, right. Right. But we add this like dumb Christian caveat of like, if it's your will, you know, which is really just to cover our own ass. 
Um, I think it doesn't happen. Yeah. Or it's to try to like justify our own doubt in the moment. Yes. Yeah. Because then you have a scapegoat and God happens to be the scapegoat. Yeah. So it. I saw that and it pissed me off. And I also don't agree with the statement, God can. And But that's probably... Nope, you got to go into it. <laughs> uh, we just lost 100% of our listeners who were let, who, who just went, nope, this is heresy. Oh, uh, man. Yeah. No, I, I'm not sure that I'm convinced that God can, can do certain things without human cooperation. And, okay. and I say that because I believe that... In order for God to be truly loving, that love has to be non-coercive and non-controlling. And so if God is going to be working in our lives, um, God can only do what God can on God's own part. And even with healing, there are, um, like God can't just, because God created us as free agents, right? Humans mm-hmm. with free will, um, that kind of opened the door to chance, randomness, uncontrolling factors for God. Um, and a lot of people get really concerned when I start talking about this because I think one of the main Christian tenets is that God is um, omnipotent, uh, meaning God is all powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to seminary and I still am not sure where that idea came from and I don't see it reflected on the cross right mm-hmm. I, I see if if the if the cross is supposed to be the pinnacle and foundation of the Christian religion I don't see an all-powerful God. I see a, a, a self-sacrificing, self-limiting God um, for the sake of love, for the sake of um, general well-being rather than one's own well-being. And and so when I, when I start talking about this or hinting at this with people, a lot of people get kind of either upset or really nervous. Um, but this idea that, that God has always been self-limiting and self-sacrificing that makes the love so much greater in my opinion right like a a love that doesn't seek to control or coerce or manipulate um like that's a love that i want to be brought into not not a like a love that also like binds me to things that are like out of my control in terms yeah. of like choices and um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So the story, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego, yeah. these three guys who refused to bow down to a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, he, this, so this king builds this giant statue of himself and, requires that everybody bows down before this statue in worship of him as the king. And uh, um, these three guys refuse to actually bow down before this this king and before the statue, rather. And consequently, they're thrown into a fiery furnace. And that's 
they are forewarned if you do not bow down then you'll get thrown into this furnace and this this went not just for these three guys but for everybody and what their response is what to, to this command of bow your knee before this idol they say um we're not going to bow our knee to anyone but god or yahweh and if you throw us into the fiery furnace god will protect us but even if god doesn't we're still not going to worship and so i think that that's where that concept comes from or what that church posted comes from this idea that we see in the book of daniel of these three guys who refuse to bow their knee before this king or before the idol and their response is no we're only going to worship yahweh and this God is going to protect us. But even if that, if God doesn't, we're still not going to worship. So is there a biblical justification for that way of thinking? Maybe. I mean, okay, this gets into miracles and this gets into myth. We've talked about myth, right? And in, yeah. in previous podcast episode, you can go back. If you're listening to this episode, we talked about, myth and what myth was uh in the in the bible and what myth is yeah and that episode um, is titled back to the beginning yes and so uh it but it begs the question i'm like is did radshak meshach and abednego actually get thrown into a fiery furnace and not burn up was there actually a fourth person walking around or is this myth and then what do you do with the because that informs, I think, what you do with that line. God is going to rescue us, but even if God doesn't, uh, we won't we won't bow, bow our knee to you. Yeah, I think there's a big difference, though, between saying, um, you know, I believe God will, but even if I'm wrong, because that's what this is saying, right? Even if God doesn't, I'm still going to trust God. There's a right. big difference in making those self-claims than you know, like using this as an encouragement to, or, or a, like compelling other people to have faith, mm-hmm. you know, like it's one thing to say, even if God doesn't come through in the ways that I think he's going to, I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna trust, uh, and going, Hey, <laughs> Hey, you, uh, God's going to do this, but even if he doesn't, you can still trust him. Like there's a, I, I feel like some statements can only be made personally by a person and not as mm. a, like an argument for God or an argument, you know, for God's character or for, for reasons why you should have faith, if that makes sense. Okay. So the concept here with, so with these three guys in particular, the thing that they're trying to argue for, or in this moment, you know, as they're facing their death penalty, I mean, to what I guess to your point, they are pledging their allegiance to Yahweh and they're committing that they are not going to worship another idol, another God, no matter what, because they solely believe that Yahweh is the one true God. And what they're saying is it doesn't matter what happens to my body. I'm not going to bow my knee to another. And yes, that is very different than saying you should trust God. God's going to do these things for you. And if they don't happen in your life, God is still good. So don't be mad at God. Right. It's like, and, but that's different than like what you're saying, than, uh, than an individual saying my allegiance is to Yahweh and Yahweh alone. And I'm yeah. not going to bow my knee to another. Exactly. And I mean, 
maybe it makes me mad because as a very logical, you know, information based person, mm-hmm. uh, I hear that and I'm like, why as a as a business, as a church, why are you using that phrasing to like towards other people? Like for mm-hmm. me, that's it. No, that that would be a I would be fine with somebody making that personal statement and 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 saying, all right, and 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 that would it would be more inspiring for me to hear somebody declare that for themselves than it would be to hear somebody try to declare it over other people as a like preemptive thing. This is a command that you have to follow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too that I think is really interesting here is that when this type of language does get used in the church, it's not about allegiance to King Jesus. Yeah. This type of language is typically like I, um, I I have cancer. My family member has cancer and God's going to heal this person. But even if they don't, God is still good. And I think that then it's more of a, it's more of a trying to convince themselves of some, some sort of cognitive belief yeah. Rather than like a lived experience of allegiance to the King, uh, King Jesus. So that to me feels quite different as well. It's not about trying to convince ourselves of something. The, the statement that we see in the book of Daniel is about people who are pledging allegiance to Yahweh, not, not because they're trying to convince themselves that God is good or, or that, the, God or is that they're trying side. to convince other people to follow Yahweh. This is right. a, a self, a, a self declaratory statement. And yeah, exactly. It's when you pledge allegiance to something, you know, and especially something in, in the ancient Near East as important as a deity, you're mm-hmm. going to say, you know, it, it's good to say I'm all in and, you know, even, and it's so hard too because the, the theology back then was so different than theology now like when we say that like god can god will but even if he doesn't like we bring so many different things to the table than they would have brought right like it would have been totally understandable for for ancient near eastern people to go you know uh god can um but if god doesn't that's okay too and and typically that means that we just haven't been faithful enough (laughs) uh you know or, yeah, that's what they would have thought yeah. yeah you know um and and so like we also have to recognize that you know we are thousands of years removed from this story if it whether it's myth or true in terms of what you know historically accurate um even if even if we're gonna say it was historically accurate it, it didn't mean the same thing then than it does now mm-hmm. and and I, so I just, I, I, I feel like a, just a sense of caution needs to be rightly applied with these kinds of things. So in our 21st century American Christian context, when we hear a phrase like God can, God will, my guess is that that probably has something more to do with, uh, I'm miserable in my job. I'm praying for a new job. God can bring me a new job. God will bring me a new job, but if God doesn't do that, or if, if I don't get that job I'm interviewing for, um, again, I, I, 
using the same the same language. God is still good, and so I have to convince myself not to be upset with God. I mean, we're, we're, I, I feel like the phrase actually almost sets people up to be disappointed with God or failure or some sort of cognitive dissonance because it's saying God can and God will. But then all of a sudden it's like when the floor drops out, though, and the bottom is revealed and there's nothing underneath you, don't blame God for that. Even though we told you that God is going to do these things on your behalf. Like, don't be upset with, don't, <laughs> and that's, that's where it's like, that doesn't seem to compute. But um, what was I saying? I was saying that this, in our context, we probably are thinking about that job or we're thinking about some person that's sick that we want to see get better or, uh, or, or maybe we're thinking about our, our current state of politics and we're thinking about how hopefully people will all get on board and, and say that all people's lives matter, uh, or that everybody has dignity or that racism is bad or that everybody should have universal health care or that nobody should have universal health care. Like maybe we're also bleeding into it, all of these other things, all of our personal contexts and saying, okay, if I pray about this enough, then God is going to make these things happen. But if God doesn't make these things happen, I'm not going to be upset with God for this. One other thing I wanted to, to mention as well with all this and I wonder, I, I might piss off some charismatic folk out there, but for me, I immediately connect so much of this to um, my days in charismatic land. And you had mentioned earlier the prayer that people will oftentimes pray when praying for healing of if it's God, if it's your will. So first off, let's establish there are people um Christians, there are Christians who believe that healing is still an active work of the spirit today. And when I'm when I say healing, I'm I mean physical ailments like like maybe um maybe you get diagnosed with cancer and you get prayed for and then all of a sudden you no longer have cancer. Or maybe you break your leg and people lay hands on your leg and then all of a sudden your bone is fused back together and it's no longer broken. Um so there's, there are there are groups, sects of Christianity that believe that that stuff still happens, and there are sects of Christianity that believe that that stuff does not happen. So the people who don't believe that that happens anymore are called cessationists. They believe that certain gifts of the Holy Spirit, such as miraculous powers or gifts of healing, have ceased, hence the word cessation. And then you have people who who hold to uh, what what are typically called the charismatic gifts. And that's gifts like giving a word of knowledge, uh, healing, uh, miraculous powers, seeing spirits, casting out spirits. Um, that would be considered more like a charismatic gifting. And so, so again, the church is not divided 50, 50, but the church is divided over this, uh, where there's not an agreement as to whether or not this stuff happens. But when I hear somebody saying something about this, it triggers for me all of these memories from my days in charismatic land where, and I talked about this in my episode, Nathan's story, where we would gather around in house, like prayer circles, like doing worship nights in homes. And we would pray for people to be healed or delivered of different things. And, and sometimes we thought something happened and most of the time we didn't. And so um, I think about that too. And like how 
for me, I was always upset with God that, cause like you had said earlier, like, why wouldn't God want to do this thing? If God is loving, like, is it, is it God's will that somebody remains in pain or diseased? No, no. Um, and yet like that happens all the time. And the reason why I would say, no, that's not God's desire is because I believe that God is loving and that God restores and heals and redeems. And that's the nature and the character and the personhood of God. Um, like all that's the essence of God's being is to bring restorative power into this world. And so I don't think it's for people to suffer. I don't think God is the agent of suffering in this world. And that's why I'm saying all that. So for me though, it, it always, I, I was always so frustrated that God didn't do something when we asked God to act. Yeah. And I think for a long time, I um, adopted the belief that like God didn't um, cause this to happen, but God allowed it to happen. Right. So uh-huh. in terms of suffering or whatever, and, and that God allowed it to happen for the sake of refining my character Right. right. And, and I so held, God was still the agent of it to some degree. Yeah, right. Which I was blind to. Right. I thought, okay, well, God's off the hook because God didn't make this happen. Um, you know, God allowed it to happen because there's a greater good here. Right. Like God doesn't desire pain and suffering for me. Um, but like the refining of my character and, and me becoming a better person happens in kind of those times of suffering and so for a while i thought that Mm. and then i reached the point where i realized no if god allows things to like i'm much more comfortable with god allowing things to happen to me right i think because i can handle it Mm -hmm. uh but then when i think of like well if god if we're gonna say god allows things to happen then does god allow like if god's not the cause but god allows things right yeah. Then, then we have to say God allows people to get raped, and right. that God allows people to be abused and to be, um, you know, tortured and uh, yeah. mutilated, like just like all of these horrific evils that we see in the world. And and it was probably a couple of years, two or three years ago, maybe maybe longer, that I started even questioning that belief of like, well, yeah. God, does God allow? Because like, if God allows it, then God's still on the hook. God is still participating in some way. Yeah, yeah. you know, and even with everything that's happened recently with um, Black Lives Matter, like one of the statements that I've loved that has come out of it is silence is violence. Mm-hmm. And like non-participation is a participation in some way and usually a participation on the side of the oppressor and and so if we're going to say that god has the power to intervene but doesn't uh even for the sake of maybe a greater good like that's like that's still concerning and Mm. um and sorry but to be honest like me being a more loving gracious and patient person isn't worth some atrocities (laughs) most probably isn't worth most atrocities and just so that you can have a better character in the end yeah and and i think that's what my problem is with statements like this god can god will um maybe we can talk dive into this kind of theology another time but i recently read a book called god can't by uh thomas j ord uh he he's a brilliant theologian he's done a lot of work um he's written a couple other books 
the nature of love is one of them and the uncontrolling love of God. And um, he is one of many theologians who has kind of opened my eyes to this idea that maybe the love of God isn't as dominating and as quote-unquote powerful as I grew up believing, um, but maybe is more reflective of this self-sacrificing, self-giving, self-limiting um, kind of love. And and yeah, I mean, I, for me, there's this idea that like, if I believe that God will allow things to happen, uh, allow evils and atrocity, will we'll basically refrain from stepping in to protect people, um, then in some ways that will show up, that that theology will show up in my actions. Right. And, and maybe I will find myself in a position where I will allow evil to happen and I will allow injustice to occur because maybe it will have some better outcome or maybe it will benefit in some way. And, and I think that's atrocious and I've, and I've realized that. And so, um, yeah, I'm at, I'm, I'm at this weird spot where I just feel like, um, Christianity needs to, to readdress the, the foundation, which is the cross and, and the cross is not power. It's, mm um subversive sacrifice and self-limiting and uh and non-coercive uh love it's a love that gives and doesn't take doesn't demand doesn't even ask really <laughs> for anything in return and yeah. and it's hard to see that kind of love and then also be like attending churches where <laughs> the message seems so opposite. Even the messages of love. Yes. Because love is oftentimes judgment in a lot of churches. Yeah. Or love is you don't deserve this, but it was given to you because yeah. of, yeah. So be appreciative. Yeah. If you're listening and you're like, yeah, why the hell does the church teach this? Uh, why have I heard this in Christianity? Why is this a dominant or predominant way of viewing God and God's activity in the world? It's because of Job. The book of Job tells the story of a man who um, is considered righteous and amongst the most righteous of, of people living on the earth at that time. And in this book, which is a, which is a poem, uh, by the way, as well, in this book or in this poem, there's a, a scene where Satan um, or the adversary is the better, I think the more trans, transliteration of the word in the Hebrew. The adversary is standing before God and says, I bet you I can get Job to curse your name if you allow me to do X, Y, and Z. And it's things like, uh, well, God ends up saying, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll let you do that stuff to Job but you can't touch Job himself. And so instead Satan causes all of Job's uh, livestock to be stolen and a great storm comes and destroys his home and kills his children. And it's just him and his wife left with like nothing. And then there's another scene when, with throughout this book where Satan shows up again and God allows more permission 
to Satan or to the adversary to be able to test Job further. And, and so that's where this idea comes from. This one poem in the Bible where people, people will point back to that and say, see, Satan has to get God's permission to do things. And Satan goes to God and God allows Satan to do this stuff to Job or again, the adversary. It's not necessarily a personalized devil at this point in the scriptures. So the adversary, God allows these, these things to happen. But if, again, if you're wondering where does that type of theology come from, that's the source right there. Um, but you might be hearing that and then hearing what Stephen just shared and thinking, okay, yeah, but that's, it just doesn't make sense. Like that doesn't seem to align with what Stephen was just talking about, the character or the person of God revealed through Jesus as he is hanging there on a cross, not displaying great acts of power or judgment against the world but instead compassion and love and grace. Um, I mean, Jesus literally looks at the people who are murdering him and says, God, would you have, would you have mercy on these individuals? They don't understand what it is that they're doing right now. So a very subversive act of power, which is it's, it, it comes back to also that whole idea of weakness and power and that God's power is displayed through that, which is perceived to the rest of the world as weak. Um, and so uh, the only reason I guess why I bring that up is because of how it directly it does connect to the cross and the fact that on the cross, there seems to be so much reserve, um, so much control, so much what would be perceived as weakness and uh, not the calling down of legions of angels to come and deliver Jesus from the cross and to slay his enemies. But instead, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, instead allow this to be done unto me does that stir up anything for you to jump in with honestly i i just i feel like i think i feel sad at times when i think about the the christian message of you know there's this all-powerful god and you don't deserve anything good, <laughs> but you were given it because of what Jesus did on the cross. And because of how great that gift was, now you need to go do these things. Mm. You need to be a good person. You need to. And and when we look at Christianity kind of at a glance, like, right, if we were able to do like a 10-minute a, a spiel on what Christianity is, right, uh it's it's sad it's it's uh it, it seems kind of manipulative and it seems kind of um coercive and by what christianity is you mean the popular conception yeah yeah because i i understand that when i say christianity um i'm talking about thousands of different beliefs right mm. so um you probably have the majority agree on one thing, two things, three things. Um, and then as you get in deeper into different things, um, that's when divisions start happening and people believe different things about um, Genesis one and the creation right. of the world. And people believe different things about uh, Paul's messages and, 
yeah. even Jesus on the cross and about right. the Eucharist and, and all. I mean, the 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 deeper you go and the more layers you get, the more division there is on on what is believed. Um, and I don't see that as a bad thing. Now I think I used to. Um, I see that as a beautiful thing. And something that I think we, a, a conversation that would be important to have at some point is um, is a conversation about diversity and how mm-hmm. diversity was always God's design and that there's beauty in it. And I don't mm-hmm. just mean cultural or um, the, the pigmentation of near skin. Um, I mean diversity in all forms, personality-wise, um, ethnicity-wise, upbringing culture what whatever you uh can think of when you think of diversity um i think that we have reached a point whether it's in christendom or in just like humanity's evolution um we've reached a point where we don't like tension and we don't like disagreeing um and we don't really know how to disagree well anymore um and I'm finding myself increasingly convicted of this sense that I need to be more inclusive of diversity. And in my own kind of spiritual journey, that the thing that I keep getting led deeper into is um, like just being in a space where I'm with people who are different from me and that that's not a bad thing. And, and that, Probably a lot of people would say, well, yeah, it's a good thing because it causes you to grow. Um, But usually that means it causes you to grow so that you can move on. (laughs) Um, And I think that there's something to be said about always growing, always learning, us always changing, not changing other people. Um, And and I think it gives us perspective. I think one of the, the harmful things about church is especially in the modern Western world is, is church has become kind of this vending machine where we can like pick the church that, um, you know, believes what we believe and practices how we practice. And we can basically join a country club of like-minded, like attitude persons, um, rather than like being in a community where most of us disagree (laughs) on things um, and yet we're able to constantly be drawn into the beauty and mystery of the divine, um, which cannot be encapsulated in any one stream of Christianity or one stream of thought or belief. I love the idea of that. And then at the same time, the practical outworking of it, the church that I belong to now is like so much of it aligns with where my heart is currently. And, uh, and when I think about some of the churches I've attended in the past, I'm, I'm so grateful. Like I wouldn't be able to attend those churches now because of the messages that they continue to perpetuate about who God is and about how people belong or relate to the divine and to one another and to themselves in this world. And so, because I've heard lots of discussions, I, I when I was in therapy before moving to Arkansas, I talked with my therapist. I said, I, I get I get some of these concepts about like being diversified and being around people that are not like you. And we talked in our in my therapy session that day about 
the dangers of being in an echo chamber and how that can just create more groupthink and how you can uh, then begin to harbor resentment and hatred towards other people and people groups. And that's part of why it's important to be diversified and to have different ways of thinking and feeling about things. And yet I'm like, man, it, there are some expressions of Christianity that I don't want anything to do with. Like I am not there. There are certain denominations and certain theological systems and structures that it is really, really difficult for me. And I'm being just 100% transparent. It's really difficult for me to see Jesus in them and to actually be like, yeah, they're, they're following the same Jesus that I'm following. And so I, I'm bringing that up because I, I agree with you 100%. And yet the praxis of that concept, unless you're, unless you're starting a community from the ground up and it's brand new and you're with like-minded people who are willing to be open-minded even with people that they disagree with, I don't feel like that's possible to have in our current model of established churches in this country at the very least. Well, then maybe the current model needs to be stripped down. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, thank God that deconstruction is happening uh, across the board. It would seem, I mean, I, that the the fact that there's deconstruction happening in churches and in Christianity brings hope that maybe, maybe what the spirit brings out of this, maybe the new life that comes will be these communities where we can actually sit in dissonance with each other and still be committed to the unity and unification of, of the church and loving one another. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think through church history too. And the reason why we have thousands of denominations is because we as a species, humanity, we have not done a good job ever of allowing people, at least not in the two, last 2,000 years or so, we haven't done a good job of allowing people to think differently than us. Instead, we literally excommunicate and or kill people who have dissenting beliefs. Now, I hope that we evolve into something greater. I think that the species needs that. I think that that's what Christianity needs as well, is to evolve into a, a more willing uh, a more willing mindset or, or philosophy or religion that allows for there to be more of that cognitive dissonance. I just don't, I, I just, I look at humanity and I see our track record and we're not very good at that. Yeah. And I, I, I also understand the flaw in my argument in terms of like, if you're going to start a church or an organization, you need people who are on board with the vision of the church, right? Like, sure, where are we going? Sure. And you need people who are on board with the theology or or the, you know, what do we believe? And you need mm. people who are on board with the philosophy of, of, like, how things are done. And so it totally makes sense in terms of when you get into structured, organized religion. Um, yeah, you need like-minded people because that's how you become effective. Um, but as I, I think what I mean is more in terms of like people, um, people need to be more accepting and embracing of others who don't share um, as many commonalities in terms of mm -hmm. beliefs or practices or vision or philosophy, like all of those things um, and be able to still go, I don't agree, and and even to go, I don't think that's helpful or that might be harmful, 
but you're still pursuing the same God that I am. Mm -hmm. Right. So the only community that I can, I didn't attend it. So I don't, I don't know for sure what the practical outworking of it necessarily looked like for people who got to experience it firsthand. But I'm a big fan of the Vox podcast with Mike Erie and out of that podcast did come a community like a local, a local church. And they, um, now they have, I don't know if that particular community still gathers or not, but now they have what they call micro communities. They're not trying to replace churches. They're just trying to be places where people can go outside of a Sunday morning and work through their doubts, their confusion. They Fox is all about being a home for the spiritually homeless. So, uh, if you've never listened to their stuff, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, I think it's great, but one of the things that's really unique about the way that their church was expressed is that they would have people in their churches on Sunday mornings. Um, one would be a Trump supporter and the other a Bernie supporter, and they would be sitting next to each other. And this is back in the, or a Hillary supporter, you know, back in the uh, election. And, and that was like, like they talked about that a lot because that's what they longed to see. That's what they believed should be seen in the church. And the reason why is because they said our allegiance to King Jesus should be, stronger than our allegiance to a political party in the United States, which I wholeheartedly 100% believe it to be, to be true as well. Um, so I, I have always been fascinated by that, that you can have two people on two drastically different aisles of the political spectrum, sitting next to each other, worshiping God together and hopefully acting lovingly towards each other. The skeptic in me though has always thought, yeah, those people probably didn't actually talk or those people didn't actually <laughs> hang out. Like they might've shaken hands during the greeting time, but like, were they sitting together at the potluck afterwards? Nah, probably not. Yeah. Um, but maybe, maybe. And wouldn't that be such a beautiful thing if yes, at their allegiance to Jesus as King. So dominated their allegiance to a president or a political party or political identity that they were able and willing to sit with one another. And I mean, a great, a, a fantastic example of this is actually seen within Jesus' disciples. You've got Simon the Zealot and you have Matthew the tax collector. And zealots hated tax collectors and tried to kill them. And that's why they were called zealots. They were part of this people group who wanted to basically reclaim anything um, that was Israel as Israel's. And that included at times killing people who were in bed with the Romans and tax collectors were certainly one of those people. And yet you have Jesus calling these two vastly different political kind of ideologies together to sit at one table, to break bread, to drink from the cup, to follow his teachings in his way. And there, it would appear that they were able to do it. And the reason why is because again, their allegiance was to Jesus and not to, for Matthew, not to his his position as a tax collector or as, you know, as a zealot, it wasn't to Simon's political affiliations. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And I would also add that sometimes you can, there are people who are totally on board with the Jesus thing without knowing it. Right. And so my wife and I have, within the last year made a really good uh, group of friends, all of whom are 
agnostic atheist. Um, and in the last year we have not once, you know, tried to share the gospel with them, um, or, you know, anything. They, they know that I'm a pastor. They know that we attend church regularly. Um, and I've never once tried to share the gospel with them. Yeah, exactly. Because I don't feel the need to. Because the, I, I feel like these people are already, without knowing it, following the same God that I am. And then mm. to just invite them into these dogmatics wouldn't do anything. And It'd be helpful. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, part of that probably comes from, you know, for, for those of you who maybe grew up in the church and are immediately thinking, well, well then they're not saved, <laughs> right? Um, I don't know if I would agree with that. Um and, you know, a lot of people kind of like talk to me about, you know, with my quote unquote work, but really just my relationships with people who are atheists and, and agnostics, you know, why don't you evangelize more? I would say I am. I'm evangelizing in the way that I listen and I'm evangelizing in the way that I live and in the way that I provide comfort and counsel and um, in the way that I offer myself to them in relationship Um you know, but I mean, to be honest, like most of these uh, people that I'm talking to, like they're patient with me. They're mm. loving. They they are what Christ came to to model. And um, if we're talking about like what it takes to be saved, um, you know, it's it, being saved is not on account of anything that I can do. It's solely on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, then that means that no effort of mine can earn salvation. Even me coming and you know mentally or emotionally or spiritually, whatever, uh, professing Jesus Christ as Lord, like that is an effort on my part. And so, if if I'm going to say that I'm I'm only saved because I have said these things or done these things like that's contrary to what the gospel says and um if these people are living as christ and if they are um if they know love then they know god and um my job as a pastor is to um continue living in relationship with them and providing wisdom when i can and providing um uh, counsel and direction. Um, but I don't need to utter the name Jesus if they're already understanding what Jesus is and, and they don't need the name (laughs) in a sense. And some people, some people would point to the Christ that is within the spirit who is animating the animating life force and, and, uh, that that we all because we are all image bearers have the ability the capacity to emulate this christ image this god image that's within each one of us whether or not we necessarily know the name that some people associate with that that animating life force yeah okay i'm going to switch gears slightly to lead us to our closing if that's all right um and and it's because I, I want to come full circle back to that post 
that started this whole thing. And one of the things I want to acknowledge before closing is the amount of cognitive dissonance that I have experienced. We've talked about cognitive dissonance in the past and that it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's okay. We can sit with that at times. But I want to I want to articulate something that maybe other people feel when they think about that quote that you read that God can do anything or God can do it and God will do it. But even if God does it, doesn't do it, then, you know, God still is good. And that to me feels like brainwashing. That to me feels like I don't agree with this. I this like just there's so much cognitive dissonance between these two points because they're literally contradictory. But I have to convince myself that God is still good. And I'm going to tell myself God is still good until I believe that God is still good, even if I feel disappointed and I can't acknowledge my disappointments. I can't acknowledge my frustrations. I can't acknowledge that I'm angry with God. I just need to continue to perpetuate the narrative that God is good. And I, even if I don't see the things happen in life that I hope to see happen. And so again, I want to articulate that felt experience for people who might hear that and who maybe have heard it in the past and who would say to themselves, yeah, when I hear that, And when I hear, and yet God is still good, I feel like I'm having to shut off a part of my brain that wants to acknowledge that something's not right with that statement or that I feel angry with God or disappointed with God. Because if you believe that God can and God will, and then God does not, there will be cognitive dissonance. There's no way around that except to try to shut off part of your brain that is responding to that to that experience of not seeing God do something that you've been told or that you believe God is going to do. So what do you do with that? What's the next step? What's the answer? Um, number one, like we've proposed, maybe there are better ways of actually thinking through these ideas. And maybe to some degree, Maybe this time of your life, your formation, your development looks like you getting rid of some old ideas, some old beliefs that don't make sense. Maybe it looks like acknowledging that there's something just wrong inherently with the, the, the thinking within some messages that Christianity has given you and that, uh, and to give yourself permission to just be honest about the fact that like that this just doesn't line up. There are some really big plot holes here. There's some gaps in this logic. And maybe it looks like just giving yourself permission to acknowledge the dissonance that you're experiencing. And I would say the next thing then, if you are angry with God because you've been told or you believed that God was going to do something and then God doesn't do that, that whatever that thing is, um, why don't you share that with God? Why don't you say, tell God how pissed off you are um, tell God how disappointed you feel. Tell God how um, sad and how, tell God that you don't know if you can actually trust that God is going to uh, do things on your behalf in the future. Tell God that you're not sure that God is actually all that good. And the reason why is because if God knows everything, there's another omni word, it's omniscience, that means that God is all-knowing. If God's truly all-knowing, if there's nothing that surprises God, then how you're feeling isn't a surprise to God either. 
and any kind of convincing of yourself that you try to do to say, Oh, I feel this way, but God is still good. And I can't feel this way. Like God, God's not going to be disappointed or upset or threatened by the fact that you have these thoughts. God is already aware of them. And therefore it is safe for you to feel what you feel and to express that openly. And, um, and so maybe start with that. Maybe start with, I'm just going to acknowledge the reality of my feelings right now, because if God is good, then I can share these things without fear, without a threat, uh, without losing any sense of my relationship or my stability or the love that I have from God. And then again, maybe there's some, some, some invitation to some of you to re-examine the things that you've been taught are true of God. Um, Maybe it looks like resolving some of the dissonance, um, but that's going to take being honest about it to begin with. And so with all of that, our brothers and sisters, we're so grateful that we get to be a part of your journey today. The fact that you chose to play this episode means a ton to Stephen and I. And our hope, as always, is that in some way this connects to your story or it challenges you and helps to expand your um, perspective on some things. And whether whether it helped you to, to feel like you were being heard or something in, deep within your soul is being articulated, or maybe it felt really challenging and, you, and there's a lot of discomfort within you right now, um, we want to encourage you to continue to sit with those feelings and to wrestle with that. And uh, also to, to share this if you think it might be helpful or challenging to somebody else. And when we say challenging to somebody else, we don't mean in a combative sense. We mean for growth. We hope that you would share this with the the heart or the understanding and the desire that what these guys are talking about seems to articulate what I've heard my friend, my brother, my sister, my mom, whoever it is talking about. And I think this might be helpful as they continue on in their journey. And so while we would love for our listenership to grow, um, a big part of that for us is that we simply want to also be a helpful voice to other people who are on their journey as well. So um, some ways that you can help us out with doing that again is to share it. Um, If you would go over to uh, Instagram, if you have an Instagram and follow us at the noncast, that's T-H-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T. We would love to hear from you and engage with you over there. Um, And then lastly, it would be uh, rating and reviewing this on whatever platform it is that you listen to to, um, your podcasts, because that helps with algorithms and discoverability and all of that. So thank you once again. Uh, We are honored to be a part of your journey and would grace and peace be with you this week.